Well, as you may recall from last week, John opens with some rather lofty language in chapter 1. We read last time about the Word of God existing in the beginning with God, about the universe being created through the Word, but life, the life of human beings being created from within the Word. We saw in this opening section a comparison between life and light. And in the following verses, verses 9 through 18, we see this image of light yet again. So I invite you, friends, to turn with me to John chapter 1, the Gospel of John chapter 1. And we are going to be picking up where we left off last week, starting at verse 9. So John 1, verses 9 through 18, we will be reading in the ESV, and as you are able, friends, would you now stand for the reading of God's Word. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God." And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about Him and cried out, This was He of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because He was before me. For from His fullness we have all received grace upon grace." For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, He has made Him known. You may be seated. And now, friends, let us pray. Lord God, You spoke and the universe came to be. You, the Word, that Word, have since become flesh, one of us. That is why we are here today. Lord, I pray that your Word would come alive through these words this morning, but that the Word that is John 1, 9 through 18, would point us toward the Word, you, Jesus. As we study this text, may we see your face, and may the glow of your face be infectious, so that we leave this place radiant, drawing others to you. Be with us this morning as we study this remarkable text of Scripture Thank you for the privilege. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. 
Well, let's just get right into it, friends, starting at verse 9, John 1, verse 9. It says, The true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. You could say the true light which illuminates all human beings was in the process of coming into the world. Now, the word for world here in Greek is cosmos. You've probably heard this word, cosmos. And that's not the same word that's translated earth in Genesis 1. In other words, it's not the physical planet, earth, which is composed of soil and other materials that sustain our existence, but it is the the world that we have made upon the earth. It's therefore less physical, and I would say more metaphysical. It's the world of human institutions, nations, cultures. This word, cosmos, actually occurs almost 80 times in the Gospel of John alone. It's one of his favorite words. And often in John, it carries a negative connotation. The world is said to have a negative influence upon people. The world will pass away, and a new world will be born. The world, in other words, is what Christ, what Christ came to save. Now, it says that the light, the true light, was coming into the world. This describes a past state of continual coming. He was in the process of coming into the cosmos. Now, we have to remember that the author of John's gospel is writing something as late as the 90s A.D., so nearly 60 years after the death of Jesus. He's thus setting a past frame within which to present these realities, In other words, he's looking back to a time when these things first happened. He says, back then, the true light was already coming into our world. He goes on in verse 10 to say that he, the true light, was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him, or better, it did not recognize him. The light was in the world. I think this is talking about Jesus being present in our world. And John reminds us that this world came to be through the agency of that light. Yet when the light had indeed come into our world, it says that the world somehow didn't recognize it as the light. In other words, when Jesus arrived in our world for the first time, The world didn't recognize that this was, in fact, God the Word made flesh. God the Word, who made the entire universe, now incarnate as a human being. Well, this thought is then extended into verse 11, which says that He, the light, the Word, came to His own. And His own, the ESV says, His own people, did not receive him. The word, as we said last week, created the universe and breathed its very life into human beings. In becoming flesh then, the word came to his own, 
to the very creatures he created whose breath was the same as his, yet they still didn't recognize him. Now, this should tell us something about how far our world had come. I'm reminded of a brilliant little book by C.S. Lewis, Out of the Silent Planet, the first of his three books in the Space Trilogy. Um, And in that book, C.S. Lewis describes Earth, it's called Thulchondra in the story, he describes it as a silent planet, a planet which over the years had become so blind, so dull to the work of God that it was hard to even penetrate its atmosphere with messages, communications. Our earth, you could say, has devolved then into a world, into a cosmos. A world permeated with sin, darkness, and evil. And it had become so darkened, so dulled, that when its very own creator and animator arrives on the scene... It didn't even recognize him. Wow. But it says in verse 12 that some did recognize him. It says, To all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. So while most of the cosmos was too darkened to recognize the true light, some did recognize him. And those who did are called children of God, the very name that was to be for Israel, the covenant-keeping people. They're also described here as those who believed in his name, his name. Now, if you read John's gospel in full, you'll see that there are many names predicated of Jesus. Lamb of God is one, light of the world, the Son of God. By believing those names, that those names describe accurately the nature of Jesus, that shows that one grasps the word's true identity. One knows who has really come. In verse 13, it says that those who did receive him were, you should translate, reborn, born again, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. The ones who did recognize the light, who knew it to be God the Word made flesh, are said to be reborn. Rebegotten, regenerated. And not according to human means, blood, desire, will, but rather according to divine means. Now, it's hard to know here if such rebirth precedes the recognition of the light. In other words, if God caused some to be reborn so that they could recognize the light, or if recognizing the light is what caused them to be reborn. It's hard to know. But in the language of John 1, which is what we have, these verbs reborn, received, given, become, believe, they're all happening simultaneously. 
at the same time, at least in the literature. So to say that those who received the true light are reborn by God is to say that they have left the dark, dull world that didn't recognize the light, and they've been reborn into a new world, into a newly ordered reality, a new cosmos. The logos, remember from last time, the word, which is also the life and the light, is thus recreating a new world from within the old world. So just as the presence of the Word in Genesis meant creation and world-building, so does the presence of the Word in John mean new creation, new world-building. What this means is those who receive the Word, who recognize the light for who it truly is, become residents of a new world, even in the midst of the old world. Only then, friends, do we get the most famous verse in this passage, which is verse 14. It says, the Word became flesh. You could say, thus the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Now, you can see in your ESV that this begins a new paragraph in the text, verses 14 through 18, a new section. And this section reveals uh, the author's close connection with the community to whom he writes. It says, dwelt among us, we have seen his glory, the first person plural. I think this functions to summarize everything that John has said before, especially in verses 9 through 13. God, the Word, also known as the true light, again, through which all things came to be and through which human beings are illuminated, that Word has become one of us. And through His glory, His reputation, His personality almost, which is replete with grace and truth, We know him to be who he is. Now, friends, I just have to say that this simile, as of the only son from the father, you could translate like an only son from a father, is just that. It's a simile. Now, it's important to understand that the idea of God the Word as God the Son is not to be taken literally, but rather metaphorically. What I mean is that God the Word is not the Father's Son in the same way that Leland is my son. God the Father is a metaphor which depends on God the Son, also a metaphor. But in the divine essence, the core of God's being, which we can't fully know as human beings. We confess that three persons, again, also a metaphor, somehow exist essentially together as one willing subject. That's what we call the Trinity. 
These terms then, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, are in fact all metaphorical, which the Bible attests. In other words, we are using earthly human categories to describe a God whose existence transcends, transcends such descriptions. May we remember that. In verse 15, which the ESV sets in parentheses, there are no parentheses in the Greek, you have to infer that, but he says that John the Baptist bore witness about the word. And he cried out, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. There's some wordplay going on in Greek, but the one who comes after me temporally, chronologically, is prior to me in some sense because he existed at the very beginning. Such language uh, is echoed in Mark chapter 1 and some of the other Gospels. And it seems that John the Baptist is among the first to recognize the true identity of the light. Well, back to the narrator's voice in verse 16. It says, For from His fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. God the Word is said to contain an infinite fullness of grace in His own being. And those who trust in Him, who recognize Him, who are born again from within Him, become sharers in, partakers of, this grace, this favor. In verse 17, it goes on to say that the law, Torah, was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Now, so badly do you want to supply a, a but. The law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus. But it's not there. The law is not really being contrasted with grace and truth here. We don't have the word you'd expect if that were the case. Moses, friends, is described in a very positive light as the one through whom God gave the law, Torah. And so I think the argument runs like those we see in Hebrews. If this, how much more this? This means that Jesus bringing grace and truth doesn't replace Torah or nullify its significance. You need Torah to be valuable for this comparison to work. Well, finally, friends, we have verse 18, which I think for the purposes of this morning is the most important verse in this passage, if I can say that. It says, no one has ever seen God. The only God, or it could read, the only begotten God, or the only begotten Son. There are readings in different manuscripts that say all those things. Who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. Well, first, this note, no one has ever seen God. 
I think that clearly relates our passage to the story of Moses, which was read before the sermon. Moses seems to be the only one in the Old Testament who almost saw God. He's pretty close. But God, the Word, then, is described here as either the only God, the only begotten God, or the only begotten Son. After thinking about the various readings in the copies of John's Gospel that we have, I think think the best reading is the only begotten God. Because it wouldn't make sense to say the only God and then to mention this Father figure at whose side the God is. That would be two gods. But it's the only begotten God. What this means is that this is the only divine person, if we're talking about the Trinity, three persons, this is the only divine person whose existence, it says, derives from the existence of another person in the Godhead. This is going to get a little technical, but we need to talk about this because it is clearly in this text. This is very significant considering debates between the Eastern and Western church throughout church history. Um, In 1054 AD, you may know that the Eastern Orthodox Church split from the Western Roman Catholic Church, uh, and, and that Western church would later become the Protestant churches as well. Western Christians came to think that both the Son and the Spirit derive their existence from another member of the Godhead, okay? They would say that the Son uh, is begotten of the Father, and the Spirit proceeds, is almost exhaled from the Son. But friends, in John's Gospel, and of course we're only looking at John 1, we're not looking at the entire Bible this morning, but in John's Gospel it says that only God the Word derives its existence from another member. It says, God the Word is the only begotten God. Now, God the Spirit, which hasn't been mentioned thus far in John's Gospel, exists then, perhaps, in some other relation. And like I said before, God the Son, some say, was begotten as a father begets a son, while God the Spirit is almost exhaled from the Son, very technical theological language that you do not find in the New Testament. Okay? In John, though, we're told that God the Word is the only begotten God. That the other members of the Godhead are not begotten as God the Word is. Friends, God the Word's existence as one begotten of God the Father, I think is for a very specific purpose. I think God the Word exists in this way in order to expound or explain to us the nature of God. To explain it to all the world. Now the verb that is used here, made him known, which ends the verse, is the verb exegeomai, which is where our word exegesis 
comes, if you've ever heard that word. My task every week is to take God's word and do exegesis. It's to draw out its meaning and to present that to you. In the same way, God the Son, whose being is said to derive from God the Father, exists in this way to exegete the nature of God for all the world. The life of God the Word, then, which has become flesh in Jesus Christ, is to be a kind of living sermon, unpacking for us the true nature of God. He is to display, in a way we can handle, the very face of God. This means that through the existence of the Word and His incarnation in Jesus, we come to see God. We do. And so, to invoke another passage from the New Testament, Colossians 1, we read, He is the image of the invisible God, speaking of Christ, the firstborn of all creation, In him, it says, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Last week, we talked about God, the Word, becoming flesh as a concentrated form of life. That same life that he breathed into the first man who came to restore that life to human beings. In this passage, in John 1, 9-18, we see something very similar. God the Word, whose being is said to derive from, in some way, God the Father, exists in that way to show us God's face, His very nature. I've said before in other sermons that God exists in a manner, a mode utterly different from that of ours. So it doesn't make sense to view our actions and God's actions as competitive in any way, since we exist in different modes. That is why we can say with confidence that God is fully present in Jesus, while a human nature is fully present too. And what that means is that God can fully penetrate our world, can permeate it, while our world... Our cosmos remains fully itself. The Word, in becoming human, displays for us the very face of God. And we see in the Old Testament that it's said that if anyone looks on God's face, that person would die because of its sheer holiness. But in God's mercy and grace, the Word has displayed for us God's face in a way that we can see without dying. John 1, therefore, explains, I think, what the incarnation of Jesus really means. It means that God the Word, through whom all things were created, and from within whom we were created, has become himself a human being, and by coming here week after week after week, 
and simply gazing at Jesus, we're exposed to God's face in a way that doesn't kill us. On the contrary, it gives us life. And I would say eternal, eternal life. As we gaze at the face of God in Christ, we shine with the same radiance as Moses, who went to the top of the mountain to speak with God and came down glowing and bright. So we, after gazing at Christ in worship, come slowly to resemble him. This Christmas, I pray that we'd rejoice in hope at the arrival of God in Christ. Yes. Yes. But that we would also gratefully receive the restored image of God within us. And that the radiance of Christ's likeness, His glow, would shine bright for all our darkened world to see. Let's pray. God, thank you for revealing these truths to us. Give us the grace, the stamina, the inspiration to understand these things, not for mere intellectual enjoyment, but for life change so that we can look like you, walk like you, shine like you. Especially this Christmas, Lord, would you please make us more like you. Charge us with your glory so that we can walk around glowing, lighting up this dark world so people can see and they don't trip, so that they can see a new world that is being born. We look forward to your birth tomorrow, celebrating it again tonight. Give us eyes to see, minds to understand what your birth really means. We love you and we praise you together. And we thank you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen.